everybody. This is Priscilla. This is Laura. And we are Two Cancers. One Crime. Welcome back. We've had a little break. It's been about five minute, five months since our last episode. I wish it was five minutes. But I wish yeah. it was five minutes too. <laughs> Uh, COVID happened and real life happened and our podcast kind of was put on the back burner, but we're back and we're really excited to bring you a new case today. Yes. We hope that all of you are safe and well uh, and staying staying inside during healthy. all this time. Yes. Staying healthy. So what are we talking about tonight? So today we're going to be talking about the case of Anna Marie Hahn. She's also known as Arsenic Annie. And she lived in Cincinnati, Ohio in the 30s, and she was known uh, to be a live-in nurse, and she would take care of elderly men, and she would take all of their money, and then she would poison them, and then they'd pass away. So um, she's also the first person, or excuse me, the first female uh, to die in the electric chair in Ohio, Mm -hmm. Um, and she's buried here in Columbus. So I thought this would be a fun case because it's uh, kind of relatively local to us here yeah. in Ohio. Cincinnati. Yep, Cincinnati. Not yeah. too far away. Nope. So what are you drinking tonight, Laura? Um, the most basic, but it's Stelzer water and it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having Trulies. Don't come for me. I'm a White Claw girl, but it's free booze. I'll drink anything. I don't discriminate. We're, we're, <laughs> sh- we're sharing a uh, Stelzer water... Uh, lemonade truly it so, is delicious uh, it is delicious um, it's summertime here in Ohio so we refreshing light exactly so sit back and relax and uh, this is the case of arsenic Anna Anna Marie Hahn was born on June 7th 1906 in Bavaria, Germany. She's the youngest of 12. She grew up very spoiled. Her family was extremely Catholic and they were fairly well off. As a teenager, Anna was very rebellious. She actually didn't finish high school and she was sent to live with her older sister in Holland when she was a teenager. In Holland, she became pregnant with her child At the age of 19, she named him Oscar, and the father was someone that she said was a doctor. However, her family was ever able to verify that this was an actual person. Right. They looked up his name. They couldn't find anybody by that name. Right. Because supposedly he was married, and back then, like, Catholicism, there was no divorce. Yes. So, but that's what she said. Now, I don't know if that's true. Right. And this was obviously a different time, so. Yeah. Um, no very, one was pregnant, or no one had yeah. kids without being Very married. taboo. Yes. So, um, at the age of 22, she obtained a loan from her uncle, who lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, so that she could um, come to the United States. So, the whole point of her leaving was um, her small... Her small village that she lived in didn't really support her being a single mom, so her family wanted her to have a fresh start and essentially kind of hide the illegitimate baby. Um, So she went to Cincinnati and actually left her son with her parents to Mm -hmm. be raised by him for a while. So her uncle's name was um, Max Dochelle, 
Doshal, I think is actually how you pronounce it. Uncle Max. Uncle Max. So he loaned her $236, which was the equivalent of about $2,600 today. Some cash. And they had actually never met. <gasps> um, so he offered her voyage and then a place to stay mm-hmm. for her to come to Cincinnati and live with him. So she comes to Cincinnati and she stays for a while with him and she gets a job. Um, I believe her first job was uh, a live nurse. And then um, shortly after living there, uh, she started spending a lot of money all the time. And the whole point of the loan was for Anna to pay it back to him because it was a large sum of money. So while living with Uncle Mac, she basically started working all the time, started making her own money, started spending money all the time. She just like dipped out before she ever paid her uncle back yeah. and basically moved out yeah. in a relative short time. Like, hopefully he doesn't come for his money. Right. (laughs) So, Anna starts working. She starts to develop this gambling habit, which she's not a very good gambler. Uh, But she... So, she lived in Cincinnati. She would go down to the river. She would go across... Uh, and in Kentucky, and she would go to the horse races. Yeah, which and, are still pretty big now, like yeah, the horse races. it is. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was really big back then, mm-hmm. too. So, I mean, this was, like, a, a very fun environment to go to, and she just liked the thrill of gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that she basically had the equivalent loss of $700 a day, Oof. <laughs> to give you a perspective. So, she was going through money very quickly. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, right around the time that she was about to move out from Uncle Mac, she meets this guy called uh, Uncle Charlie. His name was Charles Aldwal- Oswald, uh, and he lived in the same neighborhood in Cincinnati as uh, her uncle and where she was living. Now, but he was 73 years old, he was a retired banker, and he was a widower. So he didn't really have anyone kind of around on a day-to-day basis to, She was to help 23, him. by the way. Yeah, she was 23. Yeah. Um, so she starts basically just hanging out with Uncle Charlie. He would give her money so that she could go gambling and he would take her to the horse races. So they would do that together. Mm -hmm. Um, but she would gamble with his money. Yeah. Well, she was like his live-in nurse and she was supposedly like really beautiful. So she was just like putting on the charm there. Yeah, so Uncle Charlie basically is, like, getting swooned by this 23-year-old who's <laughs> taking care of him, but also, like, being, money. being his companion and draining his wallet while all of this is happening. Um, so she actually moves in with Uncle Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I, It was my understanding that she had, like, her own floor in his house, so she kind of had, like, her own apartment, but she did uh, move out from Uncle Max to just move in with Uncle Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, also he gave her a ton of shares. So he had union gas and electric shares. Um, and she over time would drain his estate that was valued at about $150,000 today, which is crazy. So right around that time, she started working as a chambermaid in Hotel Alms in downtown Cincinnati. Uh, around that time, It was like the summer of 1929. I think she was 25, 23, around that age. She was Mm -hmm. young. She met a 27-year-old man named Philip Hahn. 
at Coney Island. I think it's like a water amusement park in Cincinnati. Yeah, Coney Island is still there. I've actually is it? There. I have never been. Yeah, it's like a it's like a water park. I think they had a lot more stuff back in the day when it was opened. Um, but it's like it would be the equivalent of like going to I don't know like Kings Island minus the rides. Okay. Something. Now where the hotel comes into play is she met him at Coney Island and then. I guess she wasn't really charmed by him the first time. No, she wasn't. She wasn't very impressed by Philip because yeah. he's a relatively like small man. Yeah, real short and scrawny is yeah. what they described him. So she wasn't him. very impressed. But they did start uh, hanging out together. Yeah. Um, they There was like a German dance, I mm-hmm. guess, at the hotel. Yeah. And he came. Yes. So, and that's when they kind of started the hookup, I guess. He was German and a Western Unitelica union telegrapher but i mean as we know they don't make a lot of money so yeah he, had a <laughs> he wasn't job. well off he wasn't super well off no he was a working guy yeah uh they were married the following spring yes yeah and this i mean she's still seeing keep in mind that she's still seeing uncle charlie yep and he has no idea that she is dating and then obviously getting married right. to someone else that two-time in bitch yeah he had no idea. No idea. For Uncle Charlie. And also, actually, um, her husband also had no idea. So, <laughs> I mean, he didn't know either. Yeah. Uh, so, Anna goes back to Germany. hmm To, she wanted to get her son. To get Oscar. Yeah. Philip was like, hey, let's, instead of going to a honeymoon, we'll go to Germany and get your son. Which, yeah. I mean, bless his heart. How sweet is that? So, he just basically takes her in. Um, is totally fine with her having a kid, Mm -hmm. wants him to come live with them as a family. Yeah. Um, and they kind of, relatively speaking, have a normal life for a minute. Yeah. They built a home in College Hill, which is upper middle class in Cincinnati. I mean, way above their means. I mean, he's a... They they built... (laughs) Telegrapher. She basically was. She was a chambermaid, so she was like a maid at a hotel, and he worked at Western Union. And this was so like they a well-off, like German village. Think German village right now. Yeah. So he uh, ends up going and building this house with her that is kind of above their means. And this is uh, keep in mind right around the time of the depression. Mm-hmm. She ends up selling all the stocks because Uncle Charlie gave her like stocks. Yes. So she made a bunch of money off that, and she ended up opening a bakery. In the Great Depression. In the Great Depression. <laughs> That's a horrible idea. Philip, where are you, what are you doing? So the bakery, they would actually take bets out of the bakery, gambling bets. Okay. So they the were back, like laundering money. Pretty much. Out of I it. mean, they were, it was a bakery that was not doing very well. Yeah. Um, but she would intertwine her gambling habits and do that out of the back mm-hmm. of the bakery as well. Hustle. Yep. Well, um, I mean, it is the Great Depression. It does, <laughs> the business does fail. Uh, they do buy a small grocery store that fails also. They end up losing their home. Uh, also, that spring of 1931, her uncle Charlie finds out that she's married. Yes. And he actually files court documents yes. for breach of promise. Mm-hmm. N- is that a real thing today? I need to know. I'm sure it is. Breach of promise because she Could promised to marry him. She did. Hey. And she took his stocks and um, obviously took money from him a lot. Oof. So he had no idea that any of that was happening. He thought that they were basically dating is what he thought. Yeah. They were basically engaged, mm-hmm. pretty much. Oof. Yeah. So, she is still the nurse. She does that nursing yes. on the side. Yes. Uh, she meets her first client, which is Ernest Kohler. 
in May 6th of 1933. Uh, he was 62 years old. He lived in Camp Washington area of Cincinnati in a large home. Uh, he rented most of it out, though. I mean, yes, he, he was just an old man. Uh, Anna and her family rented two of the rooms, and they also had a secondary kitchen in the house. So that kind of tells you what kind of home that is. Uh, Ernest also had cancer. Uh, he His son-in-law was a doctor, Dr. Voss, and he actually rented an office uh, the what the bottom floor of yeah, his home it explained it to be almost like the front of the house they had transformed it into like a little office for him yeah to be able to work out of <laughs> just because he has cancer he's like patients and then he would take care of him as well because he was suffering from cancer yeah that's and amazing anna had moved in to essentially be his nurse as well so yeah. the whole intention was for her to help take care of him because he was dying yes uh and Knowing Anna, she actually started going down there because she is caring for him. And she ended up stealing a prescription pad and forging prescriptions. She would pretend to be um, a doctor's nurse when picking up the prescriptions at the local pharmacy. Now the prescription she was filling was morphine. Mm -hmm. Like, woof. Uh, When the doctor found out that, you know, she was doing all this, like, he thought it why are you needing all this morphine, like, for one person? Mm-hmm. So he called the authorities. So he also sent a letter to his home, like, hey, what is going on with this? And she forged the doctor's signature stating the spike in meds was to treat Ernest's cancer. So yeah, she, like, so he blocked. Act- <laughs> he actually did reach out to the police, like, hey, this woman Something's weird. is forging my signature. Um, they send a letter to the office. She lives, obviously, in the home, so she intercepts the letter mm-hmm. and then forges a letter back to the authorities that he's just, you know, treating Ernest with for cancer, and they just don't look any more into it after that. And about six months after meeting Ernest, he died in May of 1933, and the day before he died, she actually wrote a script for ten vials of morphine. Of morphine. Ten. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like she's selling that or is that like personal use i don't i don't understand here i uh, think that she was selling it you and think she was using it at the same I, time i think she was using it on Ernest as okay. well okay i think it was a little bit of everything i think she would use it uh for money for gambling too okay because well. she because she's shady like that Oof. yeah i know um so the dr voss who was the son-in-law who lived downstairs mm-hmm. suspected poisoning but the coroner ruled he died of throat cancer Two weeks before he died, he changed his will to leave Anna and his entire estate, including his large home. And in the will, it said, To my dear friend Anna Marie Filzer Hahn, who has befriended me and taken care of me during my last illness. So, so she, within six months of meeting this man, he, left he signs over literally all of his estate to, to her. And she gets the house that she's living in. So she gets to basically kick out Dr. Voss and live in the entire house mm-hmm. herself with her son and her husband. So right after that, she meets a Mr. George Heiss. He lives in the same neighborhood. He's 63 years old. Coal dealer. He's fairly wealthy. Yeah, he would like sell coal, yes. which everybody used coal back then yeah. to heat their homes. So this things. is almost victim number two. This is the only victim that actually ended up living. Yes, and he would end up later testifying at her trial. He'd yes. be the only person to live. 
they started dating. She would cook for him often. Hey, good cook. Yeah. Okay. She starts using him for money. Surprise, surprise. He starts catching on that she was poisoning him after he would eat meals. Um, she actually poured him some, like, a root beer. Mm-hmm. And he noticed that the flies, when they would, like, drink off of it, they would, like, fall over dead. Yeah. First of all, that's disgusting. Like, you're letting flies fall on your drink. But the, he was like, hey, something's up. What? You know? <laughs> George Heiss is the only one to kind of figure out what she's doing. And yeah. he's able to, he basically told her to leave him alone. Yeah, you got to go. he was just so sick that he was catching on, basically confronts her, and she leaves, basically leaves him. Um, now, he does recuperate, but he has a lot of ailments. Um, it's my understanding that he wasn't able to walk after this. Yeah, he was, he was in a wheelchair the rest yeah. of his life. So, it, so she was like, con- it wasn't just that one time. It was continually poisoning him right. over amount of time. Right. So, um, eventually he'll kind of come into play later in the story, but he, he does survive. Um, but he was very, very ill for a long time and almost passed away. Yeah. And around town, she would also borrow money from German men she charmed and would never pay them back. Yeah. Uh, smaller amounts, like $25, $100. Yeah. Like, just hustling it. She would hustle. She would go to all the German restaurants and bars and social events, and she would befriend everybody. Um, and she would just, like, give them a sob story of, you know, whatever she said was happening that day in her life to get smaller amounts of money from, like, regular people. Um, again, she would use this money maybe to pay back bookies, to gamble with, um, you know, whatever she was doing on the side. But yeah, um, she just was constantly manipulating people for money. From June to August 1937, Anna would kill four more men. She also befriended a 79-year-old legally blind widow named Mrs. Kohler. She switching sides. She was switching sides to oh, the ladies. okay. So she pretended to be uh, Mrs. Kohler's nurse, and Anna would let her sign her checks over to her without knowing what she was doing. Mm. So this woman had no family, and Anna was able to get her admitted to a mental institution at the age of 79. They were able to manipulate the doctors into submitting this woman uh, after taking all of her money. Yeah. So she would befriend her, go check on her all the time. Be like, hey, will you sign this bill, you know, <laughs> that I'll drop in the mail for you? And it'll be like a check for whatever she yeah. has in her account because she found her checkbook. And then after she's done with her, she just gets her into a mental institution and just forgets about her. And that poor lady died in a mental institution. <laughs> oh, did she? Yes. <laughs> I, didn't know that. I didn't know that. Didn't poison her, but still a terrible person. Okay, she's still, yeah, she died in a mental terrible institution. Terrible person. That's awful. Albert Palmer was a 72-year-old retired railroad worker. He had the nickname of Birdie. He would befriend Anna. She would also take care of Albert, and she would uh, take him to the horse races a lot, and she would gamble his money away. So he was known to hang out with Oscar as well, so Oscar really liked him. Uh, She would write him love notes and poems and give them to him in a perfumed envelope 
Oh, fancy. He was known to tell his friends that he was dating a beautiful blonde German um, woman. Yeah, I think he called her his girl. His girl. His girl. So, um, (laughs) 72 years old. 72 years old. He dies, and when he dies, they initially think that he died of a heart attack. Now, this is kind of her first person that's going to come up later that they figure out that Mm -hmm. he's poisoned. But when he initially dies, they just think it's a normal death. Yeah. They exhumed him at a later date. Yes. And uh, he tested positive for um, arsenic. Not COVID. Not COVID. Not back then. (laughs) (laughs) So, George George Guzzleman. Next one. Was a 67-year-old man. He was... um, actually known to be a health nut and he was known to be quite a ladies man he liked to date around a lot um he told his friends that he was dating a beautiful young blonde german school teacher oh so she's a school teacher now. for this guy she's oh, a school teacher. okay um his body was found by a neighbor there were dishes still on the table set for two and there was enough arsenic in the food to kill 12 men a neighbor would later testify in the trial that he saw Anna in George's apartment the night of the murder. There was Joseph Wagner, who was a 78-year-old German widower. Uh, he was known for being a very kind man, and he would often give candies and pennies to neighborhood children. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, he was a nice guy. Um, Anna, again, pretended to be his nurse. Not a school teacher. Not okay. a school teacher this time. Um, she steals his bank book and takes a, a ton of money from him. I think it was like $17,000 It was cash. like a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, almost gets caught, but, uh, talks her way out of it. <clears throat> so the next day, Wagner is ill. She takes him to the doctor, says that she's his niece. He dies by the end of the week. And when the hospital wants paid, she says that she barely knows this man. And it's not her responsibility to pay his medical bills. The same day that he dies, Anna goes to the bank with a power of attorney and tries to take all of his remaining money. Wagner died less than two weeks after meeting Anna. Yeah, and I also wanted to chime in on that. At the funeral, she says, this is too bad. This is the second uncle I've had to bury this month. And people were like, the fuck? (laughs) So people were like you know, starting to, like, what's going on. Because they all kind of lived blocks from this each other. This is essentially the same, the same area. area. But, like, did no one talk to each other? Like, <laughs> They're all Germans. <sighs> Relatively, they all know each other. Yeah. Uh, and this, all of these particular murders, they all happen over the span of basically a summer. So, yeah. she just kind of went bananas. George Orbendorfer was a 67-year-old retired cobbler. She started dating him and would get him to withdraw cash for her on a regular basis. At the end of July in 1937, she invited him to go visit her cattle ranch that she owned in Colorado. Uh, He told his family that Anna wanted the trip to be like a honeymoon for them. So she, like, charmed him into, like, marriage, obviously. Yeah. Like, oh, let's go to a honeymoon. Another another man that was swooned by Anna. Uh, obviously, yeah. She's also telling him <clears throat> that she owns a cattle ranch, which obviously she does not. <laughs> so this was, like, a big trip for him. He didn't leave Cincinnati very often, and he was very excited to go on the trip. Um, however, the night before the trip, Anna made him dinner. 
and the next morning he was so ill that he could barely get into the cab to be able to go to the train station to go on the trip. And they also found watermelon where at that dinner there was watermelon, which is also known to hide arsenic Mm -hmm. in rats. Yes. So I'm wondering if she hid it in the watermelon. Yep. So they go on this trip and they're going on a train. So they stop at several places along the way, but they're going to Colorado. Um, She also did bring Oscar with them on this trip. So along the way, they stayed at several hotels Um, Each hotel, he would get more and more sick, um, and the staff at each hotel, of course, would start to notice this, and they would want to get him medical attention, and Anna would just be like, no, he's fine, don't worry about it. Um, He was so sick in one particular hotel that the cleaning service refused to clean the room because he was having accidents, Mm. and apparently the smell was very bad. Um, he also just, like, literally couldn't even, like, sit up. He was just so sick. He couldn't sick, function. And he yeah. was in pain. He was in a lot of pain. However, at each hotel, Anna would tell the staff that she had just met Orbendorfer on the train and that she was just being a good person. Yeah. <laughs> and she was just trying to help this poor old man that was sick. So she wrote a letter to his bank back in Cincinnati when they get to Colorado. So he's super sick. She wire tries to get money wired to herself from his bank account in Colorado. Saying he wanted to buy a chicken farm. A chicken farm was the reason. In Colorado. In Colorado. <laughs> Luckily, uh, knew the bank, uh, like, manager or whoever, you know, they, they knew good. of this man and they were like, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't make sense. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> so they actually don't send the money. Um, which, of course, makes Anna very mad. Um, and... I think it was about five days into the trip mm-hmm. is kind of when this all takes place. And so after she realizes that she's not going to get any money from him, she just takes him to a hospital, tells him that he's um, indigent and he doesn't have any money and just needs help. Yeah, no family. She, which he did have family. He had a lot of family. Right, he was very that's what loved. they told the hospital. Right. So they don't know who this man is, you know. Um, he's in a state where he doesn't know anyone. Um, she just leaves him in the hospital. and Yeah, because she's told everyone that she's met him yeah. on the train. She told everyone in Colorado yeah. that she met him on the train. Uh, takes him to the hospital. Doesn't say that she knows him. Just leaves him there. Doesn't tell his family. Uh, just leaves and <clears throat> goes back to Ohio. And he dies there alone, which is incredibly sad. Um, now, right before she leaves to go back to Ohio, her and Oscar are at the hotel and she somehow sees like a door is open in this room in this like penthouse suite Mm -hmm. and she goes in and she just is wandering around this room and she finds this really beautiful, um, like wedding ring set of diamonds that are really fancy and she just takes them. So as she goes to leave the room, this lady is like hey, dude, why are you in my room? And she just, you know, gives some blasé excuse and, you know, sashays out of there mm-hmm. with her diamond rings. So she steals, oh, okay. she steals the rings at the hotel. She does not keep them. She pawns them in Colorado to get money and to then go home. to go home. Because she didn't Cincinnati. get any money. Oh, because she didn't get any... They wouldn't right. send... They wouldn't wire they wouldn't the, money. the money. The police from Colorado were meeting her at her house when she got home. And they were meeting her specifically for the rings. So this lady was, you know, a wealthy woman. She was very upset and, like, they they took her seriously. 
And they were able to um, figure out that it was Anna. Yeah. So by the time she gets back to Cincinnati with Oscar, uh, the police are waiting on her because the Colorado cops have called the Cincy cops and were like, hey, this bitch. So (laughs) she got arrested. Uh, They have the police report for the rings because the lady made the report. So that's good. Also, while she was in Colorado, the family of Jacob Wagner, earlier, no earlier, requested the body to be dug up and tested. It did, in fact, test positive for arsenic. Uh, But his original death certificate said heart disease. When she was arrested, they found two salt shakers full of poison in her purse. It was enough poison to kill half of Cincinnati. (laughs) No big deal. No big deal. The media got a hold of this. They're like, who is this? What's going on? Right. It's huge. It blows up. That's where they dub her Arsenic Annie. Yeah. Everyone was so fascinated by this because it's a woman. It's a beautiful, attractive young woman. Um, it's That's a, killed all these men. It's like, a poisoning. You yeah. Know, everybody, it was huge. Everybody was so into it. Yeah. And Anna was known to just like completely relish in this. She loved the attention. Oh, yeah. She would get all dolled up every time she went Fingernails out Fingernails painted, everything, hair done. Yeah. Hair done, nails She done. would hold uh, like interviews with the press and her... Uh, in her jail cell oh. because she just wanted to be able to answer yep. all the questions all the that questions. everybody had for her. <laughs> the trial uh, ended up being held in Hamilton County Courthouse, which is in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. October of 1937. The trial was four weeks long. Uh, it was an all-female jur- jury with one male. I thought that was different yeah, that they I got totally all female. That was super weird. Yeah, I mean, cool. I mean, awesome, of course, but just different. Knowing the time and everything, and then also that it's a female case Mm -hmm. and females are the jurors, you know what I mean? I I find that to be very fascinating. Side note, you know, Anna's known to manipulate all men, right? Oh, maybe that's why. It's interesting. Maybe they thought she was like a witch and was like... Like, she'd be "Mm." sitting over there just like winking at everybody. Hey. Showing like her ankles. That's what people (laughs) did back in the day. Her ankles. Her ankles? I'm sorry, I thought you said yeah, ankles. No, people back in the day, they, you know, like, you had attractive <laughs> ankles. Flashing my ankles. Yeah. Wink. Don't pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. I do, about. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, during the trial, uh, Mr. Heiss, which was, like we said earlier, the only living survivor, uh, he testified in court. He had over, like, 100 people there. So, and, and lots of witnesses came to testify. Yeah, there were over 100 witnesses in her trial. In her trial, so, okay. all kinds of people that, you know, have tied her to... Oh, okay. ...to the victims or saying that they have seen Anna somewhere. Okay. So, somehow was related to testifying the case. Right. Okay, so that must have took a really long time. A four-week trial, right? So, <sighs> I mean, I got, you know, if that's every day. Her husband had also told police that he had found... Poison in his home and suspected that she might have poisoned him at one time. Yeah. Remember the, you know, the Oscar poisoning. found the and poison. And he told, he told them that Oscar found the poison. Mm-hmm. So I do think that um, although he didn't do anything about it, I, I think that he started to pick up on things that were happening. Yeah. I also want to note that Philip, you know, her real husband, actually stuck by his wife this entire time. Yeah. Philip did yeah. not divorce her. He said, I'll he stick her. by my wife. She... 
Yeah. So I can't believe. I mean, I mean this poor guy. Like she just. He was put under her spell, I guess. Like how how else can she treat him badly than like trying to poison him and? Well, you know there were sexual favors. You think? Was it worth it? Like. Geez. I know you think they're seventy two though. You think? The old men? Yeah. No, yeah. I'm good no. on that. <laughs> no. Yeah, this trial was so crazy that, like, people were hanging from the light posts outside Mm -hmm. the courthouse, like, just trying to catch a glimpse of her. Right. So, it's pretty big. So, she ends up, of course, getting convicted. Um, She died on December 7th, 1938. So, she was uh, being held on death row at the Columbus Penitentiary. Ohio State Penitentiary. Excuse me, Ohio State Penitentiary in Columbus. Mm -hmm. Which... Guys, we could do a whole another episode just on that place. Like, yeah. It, well, such an incredible place. Yeah. Um, she actually, when she was walking in the penitentiary, she was completely like hair rolled, looking great with right. a huge fur coat on. Right. Like walking up in there like, what's up? Slandering in there. Like, I guess. Oof. Right. Um, so she died in the electric chair, which was named Old Sparky in Columbus. So it had a reputation of just, you know, being a gnarly electric chair. Um, but she died uh, at the age of 32, and she's buried in Mount Calvary Calvary Cemetery in Columbus, which is, if you're uh, familiar with Columbus, it's near Green Lawn. It's not far from the old Clipper Stadium. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. So um, she did leave a handwritten confession in her cell. Yeah, she, she did do that. She did confess to four of the murders, but she didn't confess to all of them, and... It was very blasé, guys. She was just kind yeah. of like, oh, I, I wanted to do all of that to help them, and, you know, yeah. I just can't I, believe they died. I love them all so much. Yeah, I wouldn't even... I don't even know if that was called a confession. That's like trying to save your ass a little Pretty bit. Pretty much is Because what it, she didn't... She didn't actually take responsibility Yeah, she didn't, for she any didn't take it. anything, you know. She went out just like she wanted to. Yeah. And, you know, and, her ego stood in the way. And she did talk to, like, her attorney uh, before she died. And she was really worried about her son. And they ended up selling that. They sold the letters to the media guys. So they took this lady's confession letters, which, I mean, kind of karma, right? Like, who cares? Oh. Um, sold them to the media. So these letters got published everywhere, mm-hmm. and they actually confession letters. were writing um, a screenplay, which I don't think was ever made, but they were going to make a movie out of it. Okay. Right. I think the confession was like 21 pages long. Right. That's a lot. Yeah. Of her rambling about herself. Yeah, and it was sold to it was a the lot media. Of money. The yeah. 75, 75 grand. It was a lot of money. And yeah. all the money went to her son. Right. Oscar in mm-hmm. a trust fund. Yeah. So I guess that was I guess smart. That's, that's, that's okay, smart. But... So we really want to acknowledge um, this book that we referenced for most of this podcast. Um, yeah. It's really special though because the author of this book, um, it's called The Goodbye Door, and it's written by Diana Britt Franklin. So she actually lived in Columbus, and she used to work for um, the Columbus Dispatch Mm -hmm. back in the day. And she researched this book for years and years, and she would use her um, journalism, you know, um, 
networking skills to collect information and she actually went to all the actual law offices and courthouses and like she did it the right way um so this book is amazing um she passed away actually this year Mm -hmm. in 2020 can you imagine if we like would have been able to talk to her about this oh my god she lived here in columbus yeah and well let's talk about i mean it's called the goodbye door because the door before you walk the you know final to the electric chair it's called the goodbye door. That's mm-hmm. the last door you open before you go to the electric chair. Right. So that's why this book's called. Yeah. This book is so detailed. Like, we are not even touching. Yeah. Not even remote. There's not so many close. interviews. Uh, dates. Pictures. So, there's pictures. pictures. It's completely factual. Um, you can seriously buy it on Amazon. I would recommend it. Yeah. If you're at all interested in this case. Great. She did an excellent job and she should be very proud. Um, so there are two other podcasts that we found that were particularly good. Um, the Serial Killer podcast had a two-part episode, and then True Crime Obsession um, also had a really good episode. Yes. Um, I, I do want to notate that when I was researching this case online, I was finding a lot of like mis- mismatched information. Yeah. Just a lot of a lot of dates kind of ran together. Was off. So when I found the book, I really tried to stick to the book. And to sources that were consistent with the actual facts I was finding. Mm-hmm. So I just want to say that because, like, for example, her birthday I also found was July 7th, um, which is my birthday. Yeah! Oh, snap! But then I found out that her birthday is actually June 7th. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of those, like, little details that, just to FYI, if you're reading up on this case on the internet, they may not totally match. Yeah. Um, but we did our best to, to try to follow all the facts that we could find on everything. Yeah. If you're interested in that, uh, I would recommend those three sources to check that out.